As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Your boots squelch as you walk through the sodden fields. An amber light from the setting sun blasts across the landscape as you make your way forward and the sound of wind rustling through the soaked grass pervades your senses. But what worries you most is the taste on your tongue, a taste of iron. As you realized, as the ground sucks at your ankles, that you're walking not just through mud, but pools of blood. Welcome to Mud and Blood, a podcast dark and grim. I am Liam, and joining me today as usual is the host with the most in Germany, Matt. How you doing? <laughs> doing good, doing good. How about yourself? <laughs> Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. <laughs> nice, nice intro, tying it, tying it into mud and blood as well. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I should have written something down in advance instead of making it up. But it's all right. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So um, what are we what are we talking about today, Liam? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> we were we were throwing around ideas for episode titles, um, or episode ideas about a week ago. And you thought uh, it'd be funny to have one where uh, I divulge. Hold on, I'm trying to find the exact post because you had a very particular wording. Um, bringing the environment to life, and then in brackets, Liam shares his pro tips. <laughs> and I thought that was, <laughs> I thought that was perhaps, I thought it was an interesting topic, although the title made me think it may have been a joke one, but it was overwhelmingly the most popular one. So we're here to discuss um, uh, scene setting, I guess. We're here to discuss um, how one tries to bring an environment to life um, and to make, yeah, their, the talking about the worlds in which we play or the environments in which we move through in our games to make them interesting and uh, relevant, um, which is yeah. interestingly not something that gets a lot of like a lot of lot of help necessarily out there that I've seen anyway. Especially like a lot of books will have sections on how to role play, how to play a character, how to play believable NPCs, NPC motivations, all that sort of stuff. There's lots of 
social bits and pieces, but it seems like um, we're often left on our own when it comes to describing everything else going on in the world and in the game. Mm. So. You do see some, um, there are books about GMing that go into it a bit. Um, but as you say, I think most GMing sections don't necessarily have a, a lot on there, other than maybe just the very helpful um, little bit of blurb that will say something along the lines of, "Bring, make sure to bring the environment to life for your players. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is like, yeah, how the fuck do I do that? I think a part of it's like, you know, we got to remember that at least one third of people are playing with maps, right? Um, yeah, Even like outside of combat, there's people who play with mm. maps. You see those big mega dungeon miniatures and things like that. Like there's people who just play that way. Um, and that doesn't lend itself particularly heavily towards um, a more narrative style. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think that's a part of it. Like I know for me, it wasn't, it's not something I ever really thought about or kind of did until I played online in um, like play by post on forums and things. Um, mm. And when we played by post, it wasn't like the modern day, like you see a lot of people play in real time and text these days, like on Discord or whatever. But this is more like so your GM would post and then you've got a few days or a week to respond. And it was more like collaborative storytelling, except for. You know, you had rules for how combat worked and stuff, and you're expected to resolve that sorts of, sorts of things off the forum, and then write about it and summarize it on the forum in character and from like a an author like an author stance almost. Um, and it wasn't until I started doing that that I really started thinking of how to role play in a way that sort of is a lot more evocative, I guess. Um, mm. So yeah, well, you kind of have to, I guess, play by post and I guess online play as well often. Um, you know, if you, it's all about theater of the mind because you're limited in what you can, mm. how much you can actually physically manipulate the the gaming table, um, to use that term, I guess. So yeah, I can see that, definitely. Um, makes a bit of sense as well because you, I, when playing with you, I am, um, or listening to, listening to the games that you've GM'd, for example, on Encounter Roleplay, um, you're very, very good at creating very evocative atmosphere. And um, yeah, as as you said just a minute ago, like when I was pitching this, um, pitching this as a as a show um, idea, I very much wanted to pitch it as you sharing your tips, for like a masterclass with Liam, because um, it's something that I I feel myself. I'm I'm a bit weak as an area as a GM. I'm weak in is providing evocative descriptions of, of places and locations. Um, NPCs, not so much, but certainly, um, yeah, certainly getting the like environmental descriptions down, uh, bringing it to life is something that um, I struggle with. And it's certainly something we've seen, um, for example, on our Discord server. Um, people often bring it up. People often mention, uh, you know, wow, Liam, really great job on the Mothership one-shot, for example, um, you know, on really making that that one like making it come to life with you know yeah and that's also really important for our media is our medium as well here with being a an audio only podcast um we can't we can't provide you the listeners with any kind of visual aids whatsoever um all we can manipulate is what you're hearing and so providing those um you know narrating those 
things to make the environment come to life are really important. So here we are. Um, and the the way we're gonna ha the way we originally were thinking of handling this, um, as I've said, is that Liam is well. I would be sort of interviewing Liam and asking for his tips, and to kind of help with that, we thought it would be interesting to ask our Patreon supporters over on our Discord server for any questions on this topic they might have, and we got absolutely inundated with uh, something like two dozen questions. Um, so for those of you who provided those questions, thank you very, very much. However, um, we're not going to be reading them out verbatim. I've tried to summarize them into similar uh, topics, and we're just going to kind of walk through the topics. And even when summarizing them as topics on our little outline in Trello, we, we have 10 topics to get through. So it's there's a lot here. There's a lot of questions people have about how to, how to handle this. So um, we're going to try and get through all of them if we can. Uh, we're going to still try and keep it to two hours. Hmm. Um, so, you know, this being me interviewing Liam, I can I, maybe I can like buzzer him if he's going if he's going too long on something. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> Although I don't want to stop the master in mid flow. Um, yeah. Fuck, you're really <laughs> fluffing me up here. I, I better deliver. You better fucking deliver, mate. <laughs> no pressure. It's one of the comments I made on Discord is everyone makes like the questions that are coming through are very good. But it's like, fuck, these people think I'm a lot smarter than I am. <laughs> You just need to be, um, just don't be so good at it. Next yeah. time. No, no. <laughs> um, I mean, some of the, some of the questions and things I can talk around as well, because they're, some of the tips are, are kind of, uh, GMing tips about like involving prep and stuff like that. And I think, uh, you know, take some of the pressure off of your vocal cords. I can, I can jump in on a few of them too, <laughs> but, um. Yeah, let's let's jump into it, right? Hmm. Um, the the first sort of question that is it really jumped to the fore. Uh, several people asked in various different ways was, how do you balance having giving too much detail, or like how do you balance the level of detail? How much detail should you give in a description? When is it where you know, at what point is it providing too much information or too much environmental detail and taking the spotlight? away from the players by, you know, you, you as a GM, um, having the focus on yourself as you're laying out this really evocative, evocative scene. Okay. That's a multifaceted, uh, answer yeah. to that. So, okay. um, there, there is there for me, there is actually one big thing that really guides how much information I give the players and that's urgency. So, if we're in a situation where there is a lot of urgency, I'll deliberately not give the characters very much information at all. Um, I'll, I'll give them the, the immediate pertinent stuff that they notice, and then if the player wants to know more, they have to investigate that through their character, and then which takes time. And then that adds to this feeling of urgency and desperation, right? And that sort of makes sense. When you're in a hurry to get somewhere, you're not paying attention to your surroundings as much. Mm. Um, so that's one thing. That's when you can really use environmental sort of storytelling as a tool. Um, yeah, if you want this the situation to feel slow and to be more pulled back, kind of like at the start of this episode, you can describe things fully. Your character has had time to really... Um, soak everything in versus you're in a hurry, you know, you might get one or two bits of information thrown at you, are followed immediately by the question of what do you do? And then the, the, the player has to ask for clarification on things and they have to explore it as, as a character. And that, um, 
that really does create a sense of of you know shit's going on i haven't even i don't even know what, what fucking color the walls are here you know um but at the same time in a more generalized sense outside of that situation um i think the trick is you explain things and just enough to give the players a sense of what's going on and a feel for what you want the scene to feel like but um leave gaps for them to interact with it and then as they interact with it you expand upon or expound upon what you've already done so um for me when i'm doing this stuff i i almost always just have like in my head what i picture the scene to be like and smell like and feel like and sound like and i'm just sort of trying to describe that to the players that's just how i sort of do it um i don't write this stuff down in advance or anything like that not not fully anyway um and i'll i'll i always make a point to focus on a non-visual um trigger and uh, almost always i try and open with a non-visual thing as well um especially taste touch or smell those are things which are evocative as far as our memory is concerned i mean we all mm. like if i um for example if i say to you that something feels like coarse sandpaper you, you you've immediately remembered that that's something which if you've ever touched coarse sandpaper it comes to your head like you know, if you're describing shark skin for example you could describe it that way and people immediately know what it is you're talking about it's just something that sort of comes to you smell is the most evocative in that sense so i'll normally try and open of something like that um and then i might just do one or two small bits and pieces paint the scene for them and then allow them to interact with it and that might not even be interacting with my description it might just be them role-playing something between themselves but as they do you know um because you always have a moment as in the, in the conversation between a gm and a player where the player's like okay so i'm gonna walk over here and i'm gonna go ask this person this thing so when you're narrating them walking over there you have a moment to inject some more life and scene from the from what's going on you know like mm. you need to pace yourself is kind of what i'm getting at i suppose um to find that balance it's easy just to sit here and spend 20 minutes just telling your cool story about your setting and then shutting up and then the players take over and you have nothing left to give. I think, um, mm -hmm. you know, describe the important things that, and when I say important, I mean the evocative things, what will make the people feel like they are where you're trying to explain to them. Um, and then back off and, and build upon it through the course of the conversation between yourself and the party i think that's kind of the the trick you don't want to go overboard unless you're really you know like i said if you're slowing things right down and the players the characters had a lot of time to really absorb the world then you give them more of a description and they'll feel more embedded in it versus if they're just moving through it or if they're running across it mm. then you give them less information um because your understanding of what's around them is, is tied to them um, and you use that to control the tension of the of the scene um, because security um, for the players comes with understanding where they are the more they understand where they are the more they understand their surroundings the more secure they'll feel so if you want things to be tense you deliberately tighten in on those descriptions okay that's good I've been 
tapping away here because I'm taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's really good. That's really good. Um, I think that for me, that's one thing I also uh, like a tip I've I've read previously is, um, you know, if you're in your prep, if you're prepping, I actually tend to prep locations and I try to think, even if I'm doing it virtually, try and keep descriptions to a, um, well, I, I try to keep them bullet pointed and on an index card. Um, but the, the big, big thing is to try and focus on the non-visual senses mm -hmm. as well. Um, and I found that that little tweak there, which, which is, um, which, which you were kind of talking about goes a very, very long way into helping bring us a scene to life. Because I think a lot of us, um, if you're not, if you're not actively thinking about it, you would, most people will, myself included, will default to just describing what you see mm -hmm. in a scene. And that's, that's a habit that I think is good to try and get out of and to lead with the other sensory information, I think is the main thing. And as you said, for me as well, I find this to be the most evocative is to, is to lead with smell. Um, because you can, you can smell an environment before you, before you ever see it. Mm. Right. Um, Absolutely. There are exceptions. Like if, if you're, um, well, in fact, and that, that's also in, in things like sci-fi where you're in a, in a vac suit, for example, that can also heighten the, the everything where like, maybe there's a tiny, maybe your filter on your suit hasn't quite kept the smell of something out and you get this this faint odor coming through which should absolutely not happen so it's like how are those particles not being caught by your mm -hmm. by your like um by your oh, I, I guess a, i guess a vac suit wouldn't have a filter on it because it would be it would have that's the whole point is it's vacuum sealed right um so that's a bad your example environment uh, suit. your environment suit there we go and your enviro suit there we go well, let's go with let's go with um Star Wars, where apparently you can walk around in space with just like a little, a little like breathing mask on. Um, <laughs> moving swiftly on from that terrible bit of uh, science. Oh my god! No, but yeah. it's, it's, so, it's yeah. definitely a thing, right? Like, mm. um, and when you're describing stuff, like even like, I think a lot of us will default to visuals and sound because for a lot of people, we think of RPGs. From the perspective of media and the most the most common form of media that people are consuming is television and, and movies right um and i mean as i said at the start it wasn't until i was doing more text-based sort of um playing uh that i started to take on these more sort of deeper things because you know like in a book you can describe a character smelling something but you can't do that in a TV show without showing them what they smell or have them describing what they smell. So a lot of people default their way. This is one of the reasons why mm. in general, this is outside of this particular topic. I've mentioned not liking people bringing like script writing rules or practices yeah. to role plays, because I feel like yeah. you're really missing out on a lot when you do that. Um, like role plays, we're supposed to be there. We can imagine ourselves as the character. At least I can. I've heard people say, you know, there's a classic immersionist bullshit thing. Um, I personally don't agree with that. I, I can very much feel like I'm there and in the moment. Matter of fact, when I'm doing Same. these descriptions, yeah. I'm imagining exactly that. I'm imagining being the character who I'm narrating to. And I'm imagining sorry, I don't know if <laughs> I'm imagining um I'm imagining what they hear, uh what they smell, what they see to the player and hopefully transferring that idea to them. Um and 
I think it'd be if you didn't. Yeah, I, I do think that when you start taking too much of like a storyboard angle or whatever, you can potentially lose some of that. Not always. I'm sure there's people who can balance it, but mm. it's um. Yeah. I think that's definitely a thing. Like, you know, this whole scene setting stuff is all about trying to get immersion there. So you give enough detail to get across that immersion, and then then you've done your job. And like, um, don't be afraid to leave stuff out. Like the whole, I actually borrowed from Kenneth Height in that introduction where I said you taste iron before you before mentioning blood. Um, that was from when we interviewed him. He talked about. How, how important smell is in role-play games and said that if you want to get across the horror of walking into a blood, you know, splattered room, you say you open the door and your senses, you immediately, you can taste iron in your mouth. You've, you, you can tell that there's an, a lot of blood on the other side of this door. And then you, you, the players immediately, like, they're there. We, we all, all of us, at some point in our life, have bitten our lip, have bitten our tongue, have had a tooth knocked out or had a split lip. We've all taste, tasted blood. We know what it tastes like. Um, we know what it smells like. Yeah. And, and that'll immediately put you in the moment. And then um, you, you haven't had to tell them that they see blood. Just the fact that they can taste it and smell it, they immediately know what they're fucking like. There's something going on, and that will suck them into them. And then that immediately brings the next thing of, well, what do you do? And then the players have to make the conscious decision of opening the door and looking for the source of this thing. And it, it, it builds tension and it builds atmosphere. Uh, if you just said you open a door and there's blood splattered everywhere and there's a cadaver on the floor, it's not nearly as interesting. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the, these are the, that, that's that's the trick. Is you got to try and find that balance, of, like use it as a way for the players to engage. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah, cool. Um, kind of carrying on from there, um, we've got a couple of questions that have to do with. Um, senses using the senses which i think we've we've kind of nicely just kind of talked around uh, but one specific element of the senses is um hearing and obviously we're talking anyway and you're talking to people so that you know the audible senses are already being triggered but how how do you use um or what are some tips you can give about using sound in um in your description and specifically we're talking about using actual like ambient music so this is ambient sounds that you might be using like sound bites um you know when do you use a score versus just using um a long bit of ambient music and uh, by ambient by ambient sound or ambient music i'm talking about like you're in a in a mountain pass and the ambient music would be you playing a a track on loop which is wind whistling through um a desolate space you know mm. and that's just that's just happening while you're in that scene in the background to again you can just imagine that really putting the the players into the scene mm. um, versus a score which would be you know have maybe having that but also with um some you know instrumental music going on alongside to um to kind of add to add to the atmosphere so the i guess the question is well, yeah, first of all before we get into too much detail here we have done an entire episode um on setting the scene on ambiance um i'm just trying to find the episode number that was a while ago, wasn't it? <laughs> that was a while ago. 
mood crafting. So episode 38, which we recorded <laughs> March of last year. So, you know, a long time ago, 15 months ago. Um, so in episode 38, if you want to look in our backlog, we did an episode called mood crafting, and that was all about setting the mood using ambiance. And really, we went through a lot of um, detail on using the senses and using sound, especially we talked a lot around. Um, but we'll do it again in a, a not an entire episode's um, worth, but we'll do a little bit of a recap. Um, so over to you, Liam, like any tips for using sound? Yeah. Um... Again, multifaceted answer. Uh, the the most direct answer um, is I'm not one of these people who likes to use individual sounds for actions going on uh, in the game. I've seen people who do that, where they have like a soundboard and they will tap it for gunshots or whatever. Um, I'm generally a fan of ambience. You can kind of tell that as well, listening to our actual plays, where I, I do the sound design for those. And more often than not, I'll have like a an ambient battle noise if there's a fight going on over individual hits and blows. That's not always true, especially in cult, because there's more like single moments of things happening. But like, especially in Carrying Company, mm -hmm. where possible, I'll just have a loop of ambience playing um, because I prefer that. Um, I th this is also true of artwork, which is a question that will come up later on. But I feel like there is a point where anything too specific or too tailored to what's going on can actually undermine what you're trying to do. So, for example, mm. think about the amount of pictures you've ever seen of Cthulhu, right? H.P. Lovecraft's monster. And think about how many of them were as scary as the thing in your head when you read Call of Cthulhu. Right? Not many, right? Yeah. Um, I feel like sound can be the same as well in many ways um especially if you don't have the time to really craft what it is that you're doing um if i do use sound it's always just to hint at a feeling which is where the loops and things come in um that said at the table our actual plays are different because i'm doing that post um post you know live play but at the table when i'm actually running a game um, all I'll use is, um, is ambient music. And I have different playlists for different feels that I'm going for. So I might have one for daytime, nighttime, exploring in a forest or whatever. Um, but unless, yeah, otherwise I keep it pretty basic. I just turn on the, the playlist I want for that environment and that'll just be like a curated playlist of music that will just sort of get that across. I very rarely use actual sound effects. I did just a couple of days ago when I was running um, Fistful of Sixes, I put on like a storm ambience because the party was stuck out in the storm overnight. And even then, that's just basically white noise, rain and thunder, wind. Mm. Um, yeah, that's, that's about as far as I'll go. I don't like doing individual sounds and things. There is an exception to this, however, and that is... If I have a certain theme that I like to use for certain moments, so like a villain, I'll, I'll give a theme to, and then when that villain turns up, I'll normally play the music and then describe the villain, and you get to watch everybody at the table sort of shit themselves as they know what's about to come next. They haven't been informed the villain is here <laughs> or that danger is here, but because the music is triggered, they mm. they know it's about to come and you see everybody get on edge and we go back to you know that tension thing um this is something which uh, again 
um, the other night in Fistful of Sixes I was able to do. There is a song called Silhouette of Doom um, from the old Spaghetti Western uh, Django. Um, and it's a great, really tense track. It's under three minutes long. It's this building up um, sort of thing. And um, I've been using it in high stakes jewels and things, but there was a moment in the scene where the players had all been lost out in the storm. They were all like bordering, they all had exposure and things. They were all cuddled up underneath a tree and they'd gone to sleep. And then I, I cut to the morning, I turned off the ambient music and I hit play on that track, right? I hadn't even started describing the morning yet, but as soon as they heard that music, they all knew something was up. Um, <laughs> and like and then and then because yeah. they had been sort of caught with their, their like you know literally they're caught napping um i described what woke the person up was the sense of the light shifting across their closed eyelids so like something was obscuring the sunlight for a moment and then they opened their eyes and realized that there's a bunch of people around them with guns on them including the the, the big bear that they're out to find um and but I didn't have to really do too much because as soon as I put that music on, I evoked that feeling. And I could only do that because I'm, I, I, the rest of the time, I'm not thinking too closely about the music. I'm only playing a broad soundscape for, for the moment that we're in. Um, so, yeah, if you're using scores, ambient music and stuff like that, make sure that there is a consistency or a logic to your use of it. You could be the sort of person that likes using ambient backgrounds all the time. I know I certainly like listening to actual plays that do that. Um, and it's something which, you know, I could probably do quite happily. I just generally prefer having background music. I always have instrumentals. I don't like too much vocals because that distracts from things. Um, yeah. Um, and uh, just be really specific. When you're, when, you're, when you're changing something, make sure you're changing it for a reason. You're shifting the feel. You're shifting the moment. Um, and you can use it in other ways too. So, for example, in Delta Green, uh, when I was running that, we were playing in 2006. So I deliberately started every session with one of the hit singles from 2006, which was often cringy <laughs> because the music back then wasn't great in hindsight. But um, it was one of those things where as soon as you played, like, because I always knew what month it was in the game, um, I could go back and play this the big number one hit single from that month at the start of the session everyone in the room immediately remembered what they were doing around about that time in their life and they remembered what was going on in the news and things it was a really good way to without having yeah. to sit there and talk about it to get everyone's mind in the moment and it's the same sort of thing that's how scores are used in movies you know like yeah absolutely so uh, like stranger things or yeah especially yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. um it's all about evoking feelings. Um, so when you change your music, yeah. make sure it's deliberate. If you have a theme song for a character, you know, be clever with how you use it. Um, if you listen to Carrying Company, Petru has a um, has a, his own his own score that I only use for him. So you can often there's a couple times I use it. He's not even in the scene, but his influence is, and you hear the the score playing in the background. Um, so there's there's moments where yeah, you want to be clever about using that sort of stuff. Um, mm. Outside of, oh, the follow-on to that is where can you find good music? Again, our previous episode covers that really well. I just get all of mine on Spotify. I just use Spotify playlists at the table. 
um, and a Bluetooth speaker. And that, that's just how I, I do mine. And my playlists are arranged by um, environment or okay. feel. Um, and how do you control that on an online in an online session? Uh, okay, online, you can do that through uh, Discord. Um, so uh, I do that for our Simbroom games with our patrons. It's up to them whether or not they choose to listen. Um, but basically, whatever I'm listening to, their their Spotify will play, and then they just hear my playlists coming through their uh, their headphones. I'm sure. Like I know, back in the day, there used to be a website you could use, so you could host watch parties of YouTube, um, and it's basically yeah. play uh, watch together. It's called. Yeah, I've used that. You can use that for soundtracks as well, um, and that's not just YouTube, but it's also like it's like a browser that everyone sort of connects into and like it's like streaming a browser um you can use that right. as well there's definitely way look i th actually think it's in many ways easier to do this sort of stuff online than it is um otherwise at the table yeah yes and no. i mean because you give individuals a lot more control um over how loud mm -hmm. they have the volume and things like that so yeah. um yeah i think also we we don't use virtual tabletops that heavily ourselves mm. um but i know many virtual tabletops have um sound built into them i know foundry and roll 20 for example yeah um like roll 20s teamed up with tabletop audio um so you can play tracks directly in roll 20 and everyone can hear it mm. and foundry I believe you can, I think you have to set up your own playlist and things, but you can control the audio directly from the virtual tabletop. So um, I know a lot of people would just be saying, well, just, you know, we're playing in Roll20 anyways, so we just use the, the audio feature there. And that's fine. That's absolutely great. I've used yeah. Roll20 myself um, a number of times, and I've, I've definitely used that. Yeah, it's really good. Um, I've used it as well. Yeah. But my, my go-to, if we're, if we're using Discord or we're doing something um, over Zoom, for example, I'll use... Um, so if we're using Zoom, I use Watch Watch Together, which is, as you said, um, the one person creates a room with a like a playlist and invites people to that room. And it's basically, think of it as a physical space. You're running YouTube videos and people are allowed to go into your room and watch them as you're playing them. So they can't control what's being shown, but they they can they can participate. And because it's a YouTube video, you just run the many, many, many ambient um, music videos that you can find. Uh, just do a search on YouTube mm. for D&D &D ambient and you will find shitloads of stuff. It's not all dungeon based. There's just tons and tons of stuff you can find very, very quickly and easily and build a quick playlist out of that. And if I'm using Discord, uh, there's a number of bots you can use. The current favorite for me, there's one called Rhythm and there's one called Fredboat, which are the the two I've played around with, and it, my current favorite is Fred Boat. That's Fred as in Frederick. What a name. Um, yeah. Um, they're a bit janky because at least the last times I, I've used them, they're, like I, I actually haven't used them recently because I think the last time I used it, it just felt like typing in the commands was just a little bit too slow to change things. Um, and watch together is literally, I just open up the, I'm already using browsers and shit anyway for like, um, Google Sheets character sheet, so it's quite easy just to switch to the tab yeah. that's handling the music and just click on a, one of the tracks I've set up. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway. No, 100%. Um, tabletop audio is excellent too. It's all free. Mm, yeah. Um, it's yeah. yeah, it's royalty free if you happen to be recording your stuff as well. Um, they've got... Well, yeah, sort of semi-royalty semi, semi -royalty free. Yeah. yeah. They've got um, a big sort of 10-minute long... 
like they got like playlists that are ten minutes long that were like a like environmental sort of things. Um, mm. They the only complaint I have about them is that they do rise and fall in tension, um, so you, you lose a bit of control in that sense. But then you also do just playing a random playlist anyway. So um, yeah, yeah. The other cool thing about tabletop audio is they have a um, there's a Patreon for it, which I've supported in the past. And they do alternate tracks for basically every single track they have on there. And they have well over 100. And um, they basically do ambient tracks with no music. They do music with no ambient um, variants. So that that rising and fall is more to do with the music, um, which was another question we had um, about balancing scores versus just ambient. Um, but yeah, so if you, if, like if you want... For, like it's not it, that isn't free because you have to back it on Patreon, um, but if you find you are using tabletop audio and you like it a lot, then just you know consider consider supporting them on Patreon, and you know you've then got access to all these extra um, these extra sound bites too these these ten minute audio clips. Yeah, absolutely. Now the um the other facet to answer this, which is getting away from music itself, but is using music in your description. Um, or using sound specifically you know mm. actual sound if you want your players to listen lower and slow down your voice um, so if you really want to sucker them in talk more quietly and slowly and they'll listen humans naturally if we hear people whispering we pay more attention so um just do that and if you really uh, whereas if you want something to be casual, talk in a casual voice and they'll they'll take in less of the information that you're giving them. They're actually more likely to talk amongst themselves if you start talking fast. So um, these are things to be aware of if you sort of want to try and control the scene that way. Um, like if I really want people to listen to me, I'll, I'll deliberately slow down and I'll, I'll almost, I'll pause for a moment. So when, when people, the GM stops talking, everyone else stops talking too. <laughs> so you, you stop and then people sort of look to you to see what's next and then when you talk you talk slowly and carefully and they'll pay attention because when you're talking with purpose um they assume that there is something important that they're about to hear so that's something that you can do and that works in other ways as well which i'll get to later but um with another question but if you're trying to hide something in plain sight your use of tone is important for implying a casualness mm, to something yeah. which is important or vice versa. Um, so yeah, that's something to consider as well. Yeah. Cool. Um, let's move on to the next one. Um, you've actually mentioned it in passing, which is using artwork mm. and is using artwork. The question that, that somebody had was effectively is using artwork cheating or does a picture paint a thousand words? I have a couple of exceptions to this rule, but as a rule, I don't do it. I don't like it. Um, I find my the imagination of myself and the imagination of my players is generally better than any artwork I show them, um, especially if it's like a horror or something like that. The imagination of the of the beholder is always going to be better than anything mm. you can show them. The exceptions to this um, is if you're trying to show them something very specific or something that is hard to describe. So, for example, we recently reviewed um, Black Void, and Black Void has some completely brand new species in it, which are everyday occurrences in the game. These are things that your characters 
have probably will, will probably see regularly enough, and there's no direct thing to point to in in popular fiction or the real world um, to sort of give them an idea of what it looks like. Now, if it was a monster that you're trying to make scary, I'd say describe it in small details and build tension, right? But if it's something that they, that they see every single day and you have a perfectly good picture of it there, just show them the picture. Um, mm. Because, yeah, it's like if it's really alien and it's something that's hard to describe, go for it. Or if the artwork is very good, um, like, again, Simbroom has amazing artwork. And it's got artwork of some key locations as well, some landmarks and things. Um, and, you know, you could, like, what I'd normally do in that situation is I'll describe it in depth. Like, I'll even look at the picture and sort of try and be a bit artistic with my description. And then once I've established that imagination for everybody, I'll show them the picture. Now, if they've already got their imagination juices flowing at that point, they'll only use the picture to fill in the gaps. Whereas if you show them the picture first, that picture becomes truth for them. So um, mm. that's that's generally the the two except well you know, like the exceptions to that, and also handouts. Um, if I'm not always showing them pictures, but then I show them a handout. Um, that's good, especially because a handout is something like it's tangible in the world. Like if I'm showing them a picture that's been drawn by a character or someone's messy handwriting yeah. or something, that is in itself giving across information and it's it's a tangible thing. Whereas description and stuff like that, you if you're describing someone's reality, I think you, you're better off to let the player have their version of that reality. But if you're showing them a handout, that's a bit different. Um, mm. For me, anyway, yeah. that's that's kind of how I like to do it. Um, some people they they like like to use pictures and things. Another example actually is maps as well. It can be useful if you're describing something and you're not confident that your players are following you. Showing them a bit of a map of what like like where they've been if you have one. Um, as long as it's not super detailed and and destroys all the wonder, like a, like a basic map, um, can be handy because you're sort of just making sure that they're on the same page as you. And it's like a recalibration moment. But um, for the most part, no, I, I, I leave it in the imagination. The imagination's stronger than than most artwork I've seen. But, you know, your mile, mileage yeah. may vary. Do you like using artwork? Um, sometimes. I, I generally will only try and use artwork, as you said, if it's something very unusual. So, like, when I ran our Black Void one-shot, I had um, a lot of images mm. from the of the aliens mm. especially um as handouts to to show people um just because it's as you mentioned as a specific example it's really hard to describe exactly what they're looking at because they're just so fucking bizarre <laughs> yeah, um, <they> are. <laughs> and that's that's not a criticism um <laughs> yeah it's it's just it's really cool and the, the artwork is really good as well so it really helps with that um, however, the artwork is also very specific and generally I tend to, if I'm going to use artwork, I prefer things that are a little bit more abstract. Mm. Um, Martin Grip, for example, is great at doing this in Simbroom. You have a lot of, um, environmental art, um, which is great at imparting a very specific tone without providing a, without providing a lot of detail. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And you find that in Simbroom, you find that in Coriolis, for example. Um, and 
That's great. So I, I love showing if I'm running either of those games, I will definitely show a little bit of artwork. Um, but generally speaking, like if you look at uh, typical, highly detailed um, RPG art, it's generally too specific. And I don't want people to be looking at all the little details on a piece of on, a, on an image. Um, if I show it to them, I want, it's being shown to give them a, a very specific um, feel for the for the scene is what I, I'm usually trying to go for or if I want to I don't know or if I'm going to be showing them like what an NPC looks like um, I want it to just be a, like a headshot and not an entire body mm. shot I don't want them focusing on what gear they happen to be having in the the image I've selected like oh but look here he's got a he's got a lantern on his on his belt and it's like for fuck's sake it's just an image I found online um, <laughs> exactly I'm just yeah. trying to give you like this is roughly what this person looks like so to get away from that I've, I'm, I'm a big fan of headshots um, just to, yeah, which yeah. I know some people don't, don't do, but I, I find for me that that helps also people to, um, if, if you're talking specifically about humans, that is like, I won't do headshots of, of monsters. I think monsters are always great, are always better, yes. um, described oh, fuck yeah. without any images. If, sorry, but if you're um, playing, I've got a good like, example um, of this. If you're playing yeah. horror and you say, you go into the room and you see this and you show them a picture, you fucked up. Oh, yeah. Like this, don't, yeah. don't do that don't yeah it's not often i'll <laughs> it's not one. often Absolutely. i'll say to someone you're doing it wrong you know your fun may vary but if you're doing that i'm sorry it's fucking wrong like don't yeah. do it you're better off just just describing it just yeah jesus i've got a great anecdote of that as well um i ran for, i'm running for bin lands at the moment on a different um on a mm. on a like a live stream three skulls Twitch channel. Yeah. yeah three skulls tavern and um i the first monster we had in that campaign um, I don't want to give too many spoilers away, but it is basically a creature um, which, if I described it in words, people would instantly lose the fear, a bit of the fear factor to be like, okay, it's it's basically this. Um, it was at night. The The character didn't have any light. The only light was it was during a, a thunderstorm. So there was like flashes of lightning that would silhouette this thing coming through the door of the hut the the character was sleeping in all by himself. And... I was describing this like this massive blob of a thing and these like, um, you know, basically tentacles coming in and grabbing him and trying to pull him and pull him to it. And it was basically an octopus, mm. right? A bog octopus. Um, but I never described it in those terms. It was it was literally just this massive blobby shape. And um, it was very I, I mean, it was very evocative. I felt I, I felt I did a really good job on it. Um, the players did as well. And I never once described what it what it was. Um, yeah, and I think I think I did actually describe it a bit more because um, eventually some of the other players came to the rescue, and they could from outside they could see it more than the the player inside mm -hmm. the hut could. Um, but by that time, the player in the hut had been um, swallowed whole by it. So um, yeah, it was good. It was a really good way of uh, for me just like reminding myself as well, like um, not naming things and just sticking with uh, you know trying to keep the the details hidden and. Um, how darkness can play a massive role in that as well to keep to really ramp up the horror because if you can't see the thing why why should you be describing it visually yeah you know absolutely. um you know monsters are going to be trying to strike from the shadows often or that's like when they're most effective so don't use don't use visual cues um anyway so yeah i, I think generally i probably use artwork sounds like i probably use artwork a little bit more than you do but um i'm also big into 
things like photography and graphic design and stuff. So I can't, I can't help myself. I'm drawn to the visual arts myself. Whereas Liam, I know you're massive into, into music and sound. So I think our, um, <laughs> our prep tends to be slightly skewed in that, in that direction. But I think for, for this, for role-playing games, you know, Liam's got the right balance. He's got it better than I do. And my challenge is always not to, you know, not to provide too much, too much in the way of, um, visual information. Um, because I, I, I completely agree. I think, um, a picture does paint a thousand words, but that's not what you want necessarily because you can't control those those words that are being imparted necessarily, <laughs> especially with detailed images. And you want to be as a GM, you want to be in control of uh, you know of what the players are, what information the players are receiving to a certain extent. Yeah, if you're, if you're sharing information, you should be showing it because of like because of that information. Um, you want to yeah. be you want to be in control of that sort of stuff. So, you know, again, like if it's a handout or it's like a detailed drawing of some strange tool that the party found in a dungeon or whatever, that's fine because your the information matters. But if, like, you know, the example you used, you've just gone and found a cool picture online of the NPC, um, and then one of the players noticed that the NPC has a, a particular necklace on and gets caught up in that and now suddenly you're role-playing something which is entirely irrelevant to the moment um but it's, but yeah. it's become relevant because the players have latched onto it um i mean that could be fun they could lead to some great role play but it could also derail things quite heavily so um yeah. you know yeah and if you're i think if you're running like a pathfinder um what do they call their big campaigns um adventure path adventure paths right um they have a ton a ton of images they have a ton of um you know very like it's very relevant if you're running those campaigns um and there's a big temptation i i know for there would be for a lot of um gms or dms or whatever you call yourself when you're playing pathfinder pms maybe um to to use those images as handouts and i think that's exactly the type of detail you don't want so if you're doing something like that and there's some great detail and you're, um, you know, screenshotting a PDF to use as a handout if you're doing it online. My advice would be just to focus on the on the headshot, yeah, and not not the rest of the detail because when people are like people, yeah, because the rest of the the rest of that detail you can you can make up on the fly. You don't want to necessarily be beholden to what the artist has um, seen in that, even though the artist might be very specifically working off of like a stat block with equipment mm. list and shit like that. Um, you want to be in control of your own story. And my, my advice is to give the, to like, if you want to show an image of, of an NPC, the players are talking to just stick with a headshot because that will, they'll look at it. They'll get that, that image will kind of stick in their mind. They'll be able to recall that a face, they'll put a face with the name and they're not then also focusing on, um, that cool sword that the person had drawn or the really cool, interesting, um, I don't know, little trapping that, 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 that yeah. bit of art had. That's not the thing that's, that's stuck in their mind with that image. It's the actual, just the face. Um, and for me, that I think that really helps. I do think, like, um, again, you know, as I said before, if you're showing an image, describe it first, then show the image. And the same is also yeah. true with naming yeah. things as well. If you're gonna, if you, mm. if it's a known creature and you and the characters know the name for it, describe what they see and hear and smell, etc. First, and then the full stop is. Yeah, you know, like you might say, the bushes part as you get the smell of body odor washes over you, and 
heavy, rough-shodden boots are crashing through, you know, the dry, brittle undergrowth of this forest, and then an orc emerges from the bushes, right? Like, you've already painted a bit of a picture before the orc is there. Um, so mm. you, you know, be be careful about that instead of just hearing you hear orcs coming through the forest or whatever. Like, it's, you can sort of, you can do a bit better that way, um, yeah. I think, anyway. Um, and, yeah, artwork is exactly the same. Um, next question then kind of relating to that is, can you use NPCs as environment? Do they, do they count towards environment, Absolutely. like bringing the environment yep. to life? Yeah, yep. I agree as well. Especially like in urban environments, um, you know, yeah. the, the actions of NPCs and what's going on in the world around you and the way they're interacting with each other. Like you can't describe a busy market square without talking about NPCs. It's just not possible. Um, yeah. And a matter of fact, if you describe a market square sans NPCs, that means a very different thing. That 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 really um, paints a different picture. So um, NPCs, uh, they create noise, they create smells, they create all the things that we've that, yeah. that you're describing in the ambience anyway. Um, so you know, and and you can use them to impart a feeling. Think about the amount of movies you've watched or books you've read or whatever games you've played like on, on computer games where you walk into a town and everybody stops and looks at you and how that introduces tension right like and that's solely because everybody's reacting to the, you the new element in the room um you know like yeah. you can you can introduce a danger to a scene by having an npc into the room and everyone else goes quiet or or flees outright um yeah, yeah you can do these things to sort of cue off the scene and that's true for for human npcs animals all of that like if you describe like um urgency from the bushes as a flock of birds up ahead flies you know desperately away then the players know there's danger ahead um at least they should do um and you do the same thing with people and npcs you know if uh yeah. if the whole room goes quiet when somebody walks in and the players don't know who that person is they should know they're fucking important because everyone's just gone quiet um that's something that you can sort of play with um you know or yeah 100 yeah, npcs are definitely an element of the environment think like Think about the amount of times that people will talk about a city that they went to on holiday or a place they went to on holiday and they talk about the people, right? Um, mm. if, if people were the same, exactly the same everywhere you went and they didn't impart their own culture or impact upon the, the place they were in or vice versa, then that wouldn't happen. So um, that's definitely something mm. to consider, 100%. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've mentioned it already with the, um, the scene from... Um, fistful of sixes when you mentioned the you know the light being blocked for a moment over their closed yeah. eyelids so that's that's an that's an npc interacting with the with the environment mm. um think of uh something like i don't know uh i mean it could be a western it could be um call of cthulhu it could be delta green but um you're maybe you're trying to sneak around someplace to find some clue about something or just being generally sneaky um and you come across somebody who's awake and it's like at night, but somebody's awake there. Um, you wouldn't just necessarily, I mean, you could just say there's a guard, you, you see a guard up ahead, but why wouldn't, why wouldn't you, if they're in the dark, they're, they're obviously not going to have like a light shining on them to like, unless they're trying to have it as like a visual deterrent. Um, maybe they're smoking a cigarette 
and you're like you describe how there's suddenly this like this this faint glow up ahead and you can see a face illuminated for a brief moment um mm. you know however, however far ahead it is that's going to be much more evocative you see it, you're yeah. saying you see it for a moment you're not ex actually exactly sure where they are but and you followed up with this like maybe you you um you um what's the term uh where you do something ahead of the time preempt <laughs> um there you go you preempt that that little visual cue with the smell of the faint smell of cigarette smoke in the air mm. right um that's those are all those are all tied to an NPC and the environment just like that brings the environment to life in a way that just saying there's a, you see a guard up ahead um, briefly for a moment as there's, I, I, like, you could just describe it very mechanically, um, but it's not going to bring the environment to life. So focus on the details, focus on what it is about that NPC that's that's going to actually, um, you know, to, to try and give a bit of flavor. Yeah, well, you can like you can tell someone that there's a guard roaming a place without them seeing the guard right like they're they're mm. crawl like you know, what what you've just done is great like especially um that that glow of a cigarette as you say that's very evocative that's something which we've all seen in the dark someone's face lights up in a cigarette um mm. although I, I fear i imagine future generations maybe not quite so much but um mm. it's definitely for people <laughs> our age that's an evocative thing people used to smoke all the time when we were yeah. kids so um it's um it's something which you can sort of point to and, and it tells them a story or you know you're crawling along underneath the windows of a of a house and there might be like a it's a big estate there might be a night guard you don't know but as you um you do see a, a soft glow coming from one of the windows and as you crawl along below it you can hear a chair scrape across the ground before you hear heavy footprints uh, recede away slightly further away as if maybe you know, out of the room before you hear a door and the sound of water on water right you now know yeah well, i haven't told you you haven't seen a thing but you now know there's at least somebody semi-awake right now walking around aside that building they're probably taking a piss right and that's that's that, that means yeah. they're, they're there they're active um that tells you a lot about the world like if you really dig into that description it tells you that through this room there is a hallway at some point and there's a toilet nearby toilets have to have guttering and things that might be useful to you it might not be you know like there's mm. there's a lot of information in that without yeah you know, and you only know that information because of the npc interacting with them to go back to the fistful of sixes thing um, when the characters, I, I asked them who wakes up first and no one wanted to put their hand up. So I rolled, right? And randomly determined who woke up first. And then I described them waking up because of the light playing across their eyes. The music was playing, right? So everyone was already tense. And then they say, okay, without moving, I opened my eyes. And it's like, well, you open your eyes. And I described, um, you know, like them looking at people around them. Um, with guns pointed on them and things. I sort of went into the detail around that. And I said, you know, because that's what you see sort of as you look down towards your feet, because they're all lying at the base of a tree. And I said, then you look up towards the tree and you see that the source of the interference on the light is old man Jones leaning against the tree casually, cutting up an apple with his knife, right? That tells you a lot. There's a bunch of guys with guns, but one person doesn't even worry. He's not even bothering putting a gun on you. He's sitting there um, just cutting up a, a piece of fruit because he is that in control of the situation, right? Like the environment is inherently dangerous, not because these people have to jump on you, but because this one guy is just exuding confidence. That tells you a lot about him and about the moment. Um, 
you know, and it's, yeah. And in that situation, because he said, I'm opening my eyes, I focused on visual cues, right? Um, because that's, that's specifically what we were talking about. So these are, these are things that you can use with NPCs and with the moment to really paint a strong picture and tell the characters the sort of situation they are in. I didn't have to say to them, they've got the jump on you. If you move, they're going to blast you, right? They, they knew that inherently because these guys are sitting there, you know, a whole bunch of them are paying attention and the one that matters most isn't. He doesn't have to, <laughs> you know? Um, yep. And that, 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 yeah. that says a lot. That, that infers a lot. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's good fun. I fucking love this shit. Fucking love it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Cool. All right. Um, how about using weather? That was the second part of around. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, there are a couple of people talking about like during travel using weather and just using weather in general. Um, and some actually some good advice on our on our Patreon discussion about mm. this. Um, but. Weather absolutely, in my opinion, um, if you're outdoors, weather should play, can play a very massive role in, in the environment. And um, there was some discussion about as using it as a literary uh, device for um, kind of setting the tone. So like using rain as an example, you can, you can tie the tension in a scene to the amount of rain mm -hmm. that's falling and you can gradually step it up. Um, and... You know, maybe that can feel a little bit ham-fisted at times, but it's it can also be very, very effective. Um, so, what are your thoughts on what are your thoughts on using weather in a scene? Absolutely, go back and listen to the opening scene of Carrying Company. It happens at night in the in mm. the evening. We're digging, we're burying comrades, right? Imagine that in the sunshine in the middle of the day, and it's a completely different fucking scene. And the difference is the time of day and the mm. weather. That's it. So. Um, a hundred percent. No, weather absolutely plays a part. Um, and it can play a part in your game, obviously, mechanically and everything. Like, you might be playing a game like Forbidden Lands where the weather matters. Uh, you might be playing a game where it doesn't matter, but it still matters for mood. It still matters for evoking a feel and stuff like that. Um, and it should also inform the decisions that your characters are considering taking because if we're playing you know, like people with real considerations. Uh, I don't know about you. I think twice before walking down the road in the rain, I don't want to get wet. Mm. Um, and the world reacts to that, whether causes people to react to it. Um, so I absolutely think it's important. And if you want a moment to feel claustrophobic, have the rain hammering down outside. If you want things to be depressing, have the rain coming down. Or... You can flip that on its head if you want to feel a moment of rejuvenation and, and, and being revigored and cleaned almost. You can have a summer, yeah, like a summer or spring rain falling after a particularly tense moment or whatever. Um, yeah, you can use weather very evocatively. And weather is something which we all have in common. All of us, no matter where in the world we are, right? Like like there's certain smells which you, with the places that you've been and, you know, me here in New Zealand, we probably don't share. There's probably things that have very specific smells that you've seen or feels or whatever or tastes like food and things that you've experienced that I haven't and vice versa. Weather is fairly universal 
fairly. Some of us may not have been to super cold areas. Some of us may not have been in a sticky jungle or whatever. But for the most part, like rain, sun, snow, wind, these are things that most of us have an idea of what that's like. Um, and you can mm. absolutely inf inform a situation. Plus, it should change your description anyway. If it's raining, you don't hear things as well. You don't smell things as well. You do rely a lot more on sight in those situations. Um, whereas on a clear day, you know, um, sound can travel a long way um, if the wind's still. Um, smells can sort of, on a hot day, smells will be really strong. Um, you have a lot more th sort of things to use there. Um, yeah, nah, absolutely. You use weather yeah. 100% to yeah. inform the environment. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. Cool. Um, right, we're going to kind of verge away from some of the specific stuff and talk a little bit about some other topics. Um, the next one that comes up I think might be interesting um, is talking about um, highlighting important setting elements without making it too railroady. Um, in other words, I mean, we kind of talked about it a little bit where you were mentioning at the beginning, you were talking about um, pacing yourself and giving the right, uh, the right balance. So, you know, you describe the important evocative things and you step back and you let the, the players interact with what you've described and then you just kind of slowly build up on it from there. Um, any other things to talk around with, uh, with kind of, tips around not not giving too much away um or or get i guess there's two there's two sides of this one is giving too much away and the other one is Drawing attention um, to kind of mm -hmm. railroad railroading things you know like if you're thinking about it, uh, an investigative horse let's use the call of cthulhu as a classic example how do you set the scene how do you describe something without telling people where to where to search for the MacGuffin or the clue that they're looking there's for there's a few different methods you can use here um, and it depends on how important it is or how much you want them to engage with this. So I'll lean towards Call of Cthulhu, right? Like um, we played uh, Cracked and Cooked Mance um, last year, I think, um, with uh, Julia, my flatmate, and a couple others. We played that. Good game, good fun game. At one point, Julia fell through some rotten floorboards because I specifically buried that information within the setting, right? So the, 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 within the description. So the players were looking. They, they made it their point that they were out searching for sources of light. It was getting dark. They wanted lanterns or whatever. And they had gone into this room where the description from the, the – um, the adventure mentioned that there was lanterns in there. So I was describing the room, and one of the things about this room was that there was rotted out floorboards. So when I'm describing the room, I'm like, you know, yeah, you go into the room and you can smell a lot of dust, and there's like a musty, moldy sort of smell, and um, there's furniture with throws over it, sort of protecting it from the dust, and there's a manky bit in the floor in the middle, and then over here, and I just sort of mentioned it in passing, but I'd mentioned that you could smell the mildew and that there was this manky bit of floor and then I finished it with the thing that the players were looking for which was the torches or the lanterns sitting on the mantelpiece on the other side of the room so Julia's like okay I walk across the room and I grab those lanterns and then she immediately fell through the rotten floorboards right 
<laughs> um, because I was able, so I, I I'd sort of hidden the information in there whilst highlighting the thing that the characters were looking for. If now, if a player says they are looking for something specifically, don't be a dick and hide it. Just if they tell you that they're looking for this thing, um, explain it to them. If you if you're playing the sort of game where they have to roll to see it, then have the roll and then describe. Um, and in that case, have them roll all the time, even if there's not something to see, so that way it's still a surprise. Um, but um, it really depends. And it also depends on, like, what is the purpose of this thing that they're interacting with? So, for example, advice I saw on an OSR blog one time is that the purpose of the trap is not to actually catch the players unawares. It's for them to solve the trap, so don't hide it, right? Um and if you're subscribing to that sort of thinking, if you if you want the players to find the trap so that they have to f- overcome it as an obstacle as opposed to just walk into it and get caught in the trap, then you should, you know, draw an element of attention to that. But it, it really depends on your table. I personally don't... I try and present the world fairly neutral and... I don't try and paint it too clearly for the players that they're walking into something. I give them the information they need. Like, like think of it as threads, right? And you can pull on that thread and it'll unravel. It'll, it'll, it'll pull out more information. So I present it. I let them know it's there. I might describe that the floor slopes down to a certain point and, you know, and couch that in the middle of some other descriptions maybe or that they can smell something or as they walk along the floor it starts sounding like resonates as if it's hollow, you know, or something like that. Um, But Mm. I'll couch that amongst other descriptors. I won't do that individually unless it's really important that the players address this or if it's something that their character would obviously lock onto. So again, you mentioned the smell of blood. That's something that humans, we're wired to look for. It means danger generally. So... You, you mm. mention that, you highlight that. If the player has told me that their character is watching the ground and looking for variances in the floor, you know, that might indicate a trap, then I will tell them of variances in the floor, <laughs> even if there isn't a trap, because that's what they're looking for. Um, you know, you kind of, you yeah. want to focus on that stuff, but do it as part of your broader description. Um, mm. Yeah, you know, I, I try and avoid gotchas. Yeah, you know, if I do a gotcha, it should be the player's fault, like Julia falling through the floor. I mentioned, you know, two or three cues that there was something there, not quite right, and she yeah. fell through it. That's on her, not on me. I don't need to feel bad about that. You know, um, so it's like, um, <laughs> so that's um, that's something which you know. Uh, you can do, but yeah, if if you really want to draw the, the player's attention to it, just focus on it a wee bit. Mention it a couple times, but don't don't like explain the scene. Pause, explain the scene. Mention the thing, then carry on explaining the scene. You want to break it up and and pepper it throughout the description. And then mm-hmm. you, know, you have two or three little hooks yeah. in there, and hopefully the players will grab one and pull on it. You know, and then, and if they don't yeah. interact with it, yeah. then you can always 
you can always retroactively draw their attention. You know, if, if like you can always pull them back if they don't immediately interact with it and it's important that they do, you can be like, even do the old classic role. Oh, while you're all here, everyone's, they're talking to the person or whatever and you're like, okay, can everyone just give me a perception role? And then everyone does and someone passes. You're like, okay, look, just so you know, you've noticed this thing off to the side and it looks suspiciously like what you're looking for. You know, something like that. You can always retroactively fix it. Just don't hand fist it into the way. Um, yeah. But yeah, it varies. Yeah. It's up to you exactly, and and the situation at hand, um, exactly how you want to do it. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same. I I try and include it. You know, if there, if there's something important to the scene that they need to interact with, um, it's important to include it in the description of the scene when you're setting it, um, but also not to focus on it too much. And it's a fine line. It's it takes. I think it takes practice to to get that right. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, and you'll you'll always fuck it up sometimes. You know? Yeah, so you know that I think I think of all the all the tips we're talking about. For me, that's probably the hardest one that for me to come to grips with. And I think um, having started this this podcast with Liam, uh, having run a lot of horror, it kind of really um, or investigative sort of stuff really helps practice that that element of it because i think in a lot of um more traditional sort of fantasy or sci-fi games they don't necessarily have a big focus on um investigation and you don't need to you don't need to worry about that so much um but it's a great skill to have in any game in any genre and really when you're doing investigative horror is when you really kind of have to think about it a lot as a gm and start practicing it so um you know Doing one shots, watching one shots of, of people running horror games um, are a great way of doing it, um, especially especially sort of Lovecraftian horror because um, I think if you find a if you find a good uh, GM or, or keeper or whatever yeah, whatever they're called or a um, handler, um, you're gonna you're gonna see a master at work. Um, I can't actually recommend any um, because I don't I'm quite like I don't I don't watch a lot of actual plays myself, and the few I have watched, I haven't really watched any um, Lovecraftian ones. Um, but yeah, I'm sure there's yeah, some out there. No, absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, and also like with all descriptions and all these sorts of like hidden details and stuff, while we're sort of on that subject, be very mindful of like of like characters' skills as well. Some genres, such as OSR, don't give mm. a fuck about character skills or player skill. But um, if you're playing like especially Lovecraftian horror, you've got lots of skills there. You know, you're, you're the character who has like a high forensic score or whatever is going to notice certain things that someone who doesn't. So make sure you mm. include that um, and feel free to, that's yeah. a one way that you often do it in, in Lovecraft, as you say, and you know, like you might sit around and go, and George, your character being a, you know, an, an anthropologist notices a so-and-so on the wall or whatever, like just drawing attention to that. Yeah. Um, and that's one way to do it. So always be cognizant of the, um, the abilities that the characters have because they'll be noticing things that the players don't know to look for. Um, mm. Yeah. And Definitely. so that's, yeah. And I think uh, taking that one step um, to the side in games that don't necessarily have big skill lists, focus on like the occupation or the mm. careers mm. of a, of a character. And you can do exactly the same thing. Um, thinking of, for example, Wolfrup as a great example, it has a big skill list, but um, you can certainly give elements of a, of the environment away to, to certain characters because um, they have the right career for it. They'll notice things that other people won't. And you should, um, 
<laughs> especially if you're doing a d100 game which can be very punishing if you ask for a yeah. dice roll and you run the risk of stopping the flow of the game because they failed an important dice roll just give it you know find the character that, that it makes the most sense to and find an element of their character that that you can impart that that information to I think that's what Trail of Cthulhu yes. kind of really does well is is emphasizing that um, if there's something important to the story or there's a clue there, um, don't rely on a skill roll for it to be found. Um, think of other ways for it, you know, to. Yeah. And this is where descriptions can come into play. You can kind of um, lean into player skill by giving them some some clues for them to kind of riff off of. But yeah. Yeah, I have a bit of an anecdote around this, actually. Um, years ago, I used to work uh, in, like, IT retail. I was selling bits and pieces. And um, this guy come in one time, he walks in, he goes and grabs something off the shelf, and he comes up to the counter. And he sort of looked at me. We hadn't really interacted. Outside, so I think I said hello to him or whatever, and he come in. And um, he was like, you need to wear your glasses more up your nose. And I was like, oh, no, they're as far up as they go. And he's like, well, you can't have a look at them. And he took my glasses, fucked with the nose bits a bit and gave it back to me and said, there you go, that's much better. Turned out the guy was an optometrist, right? And as soon as he walked in, he could tell that my glasses weren't at the right distance because of how big my eyes were. And he immediately told that. And, like, we're talking the difference of millimeters here. No one else, like, afterwards, I turned around to my coworker. I was like, do my eyes look fucked up to you? He's like, nah. You know, but this guy, this guy knew this straight away. Like as soon as he walked in, he looked at me and was like, "Oh, you need to sort your glasses out." And it was just something he picked up on straight away because it was his field of expertise, right? Um, we've all been in situations where we've walked along and we've seen something. Like people on farms can look at livestock and tell if they're sick. Um, you know, like um, like for, for example, I work with a lot of people who take um, a lot of psychiatric medication. I can often tell what sort of mental illness has someone has by how their body is reacting to the meds. Are they really stiff? They're on some sort of antipsychotic medication. Do they have foam forming around the edge of their mouth? Then they're probably on anti, um, like, like on the medication they give people for schizophrenia, um, things like that, right? These are things that you subconsciously pick up on. And as you observe the world around you and you become aware of these things, you notice them more and more and more. I'm, I'm sure it's the same with you. You can tell... You'd probably be able to tell, like, sort of conditions used when filming stuff because you work in audiovisual or whatever. You'd be able to pick up on, you know, like if something's a cheaply made recording or not. Um, and so, you know, these are things that we can use in game, like you know, what information are our characters picking yeah. up on that the players might not be. And that's a way that you can feed in plot points and, and again, build the environment, yeah. build the atmosphere, build the story. Um, and, like, you know, you, and really use that, like, I'm a firm believer that a GM should always have a copy of their players' character sheets or have access to them so that when they are prepping and they're looking at maybe what handouts are relevant or what information is relevant for the future session, you can have a quick look at the characters or know what sort of what classes they are or whatever, depending on the game, and then you can throw that information in there that... Um, as a way to yeah. sort of make the world feel more alive. You're not just focusing on generic everyman information at that point. You've made, you've, you've introduced a piece of information that only a cleric in this setting would know or they would immediately pick up on. Um, so, you know, it's, it makes the world feel a lot more alive. And that's, that's what we're all about, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I do that a lot with prep too. Um, like that that should be that should be something every GM does anyway. Um I don't actually I don't really look at the full character sheets because it's they're usually too in depth. 
Um, but I have, I have like summarized, um, PC stats, if you mm. want to call them that, um, written down. And that's basically the personality triggers, um, if they're important to the GM. So not like, um, and not like, I don't know, like somebody's written down that they're, they're gruff. It'll be things like if they've written down that they have a problem or a vice or something like that. That's important for the for me as a GM to remember and keep in mind. That goes yep. in my notes. Um, what are the skills that they're very good at? That goes down in my notes. What's their career? Just so these things are down, and it's it's usually like a one liner. It's the name of the, the name of the PC, a little personality trait that might be applicable to me, that, or if, like if I'm doing my my prep and it's specifically important to that session, that goes down. And certainly, always as a reminder, you know what are they good at. Um, because that, that comes into play a lot. Like you might be asking them to roll for something or more often it's more about um, using that to give them some, free, you know, free, if you want to call them freebies. Um, I think that's really important because players will players will really respect that from you as a GM. Um, if you're remembering that their character is good at something, you're saying, well, you're, you're you know, you're, this is your occupation. This is, this is what you've spent your life to now being good at. So of course you're going to notice some little detail about this thing and yeah players will feel a bit rewarded for that yeah it makes the decisions feel important right you're you're rewarding a decision yeah. they made a character yeah. creation and at the end of the day as a gm your job is to empower player decisions everything you do should be in reaction mm -hmm. to a player decision or encouraging a player decision one or the other so you know if you can halfway through a campaign you know you might be three months down the road if you can still make a decision made three months ago matter today then you're you're doing a good job and that's and the players will, will appreciate it a lot they'll get in there so 100 use that stuff absolutely yeah. cool all right um let's move on to another question um there's a question here about we kind of we've been talking a little bit about setting the scene in kind of broad strokes and then kind of giving elements for the players to interact with. Uh, there was a question about how to set the bigger picture. So specifically, um, if you are good at this, at the kind of, um, micro detail, how do you, how do you do the macro detail? So if you're, if you're good at setting the scene in a room and describing a room, how do you handle the countryside or a big city and, um, if I can jump in with a very quick answer to that before you sure. go in, into detail, um, mine is exactly the same way as you would normally, but you just focus on bigger details. So, for example, if you're out in the countryside, um, you know what are they hearing? Because if you're out, if you're out walking in the countryside, you aren't looking at specific details like you would if you were in a room. Um, but you're still like there's still going to be sensory information coming into your brain about you're going to hear bird song, you're going to be hearing wind blowing, you're going to be hearing if it's at night, you're going to be hearing crickets, perhaps. Um, or um, as Liam has mentioned before, if you don't hear anything that should also be giving you some 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 cues as well. Um, likewise, if there's a slight scent in the air, um, you can use that to just kind of make the environment come to life a little bit more. And generally, if you're outdoors, if you, and you're not trying to impart any kind of sensory information, just focus on some of the bigger elements. What's the weather like? What are they, you know, is there like, you know, what are they hearing? Um, you probably wouldn't focus on smell so much unless it was really applicable. Like if they're in a marsh or a swamp, then certainly the smell can be a little bit of an, um, a background element that's kind of important. But if they're out in the countryside, maybe not so much. Like, I don't know, like in a, in a um, trying to think of like a fantasy setting where you're tramping through uh, some plains or something, you know, you're not necessarily going to focus on the mm. smell so much. 
Um, so it's you still have you're still kind of following the same elements, but unless you want to unless you want them to focus on something, you just kind of paint a broad picture um, using the same stuff we talked about. But anyway, what do you think? Yeah, I am um, with all scene setting, environment setting. This is true, but I think this is what I'm about to say is especially true of these more broad stroke sort of um, almost montages. We're describing like a a day's travel or like um traveling through like a big scene, um, and that this is going to sound fucking wankerish, and I'm sorry, but like emotion <laughs> and and atmosphere and vibe, whatever you want to call it, is the colors that you paint with. Right, so whatever whatever feel you're trying to get across, focus on that. So if you're in a war torn country and you want things to feel down and dreary, show indirect signs of what's going on. Show refugees on the road. Show um, like a farmstead off the side of the road that looks completely abandoned for some time, or maybe a, a distant smouldering farmstead or smoke rising from it that has been raided and ransacked or whatever like um whatever feel overall for the campaign or for the adventure that you're trying to get across whatever mood you want the players to be in at the start of the next scene um that's what you focus on um and sort of create that environment um so yeah when when talking about those bigger things uh, it's not for me it's not particularly different than when they're in a room i focus on things which are most relevant to the players uh the characters at the time what they focused on so like i talk about the road that they're traveling on i talk about what they're seeing on the horizon um sounds you know smells things like that the same as i would anywhere else but just expanded somewhat and probably in, in slightly less detail because it's not so immediate and near. You sort of want to really open it up and encourage the players to come in. And I, when I'm on those bigger spaces, I really focus more on just the overall feel. How do I want the, the, the players to feel right now? Uh, and how do I want the characters to feel? I think that's the big thing is you use those moments, like entering a big city and wandering around the city or um, walking through the countryside, especially if you're like you know, sum, summarizing an afternoon's travel in a, in, a, in a moment, whatever, that's when you really can sort of hone in on the theme of the entire adventure and campaign. Um, that's when you can really get across. Um, like, like, Sean did it a lot in Karen Company once we reached Sylvania. Um, yeah, there was a lot of, you know, really making us feel like we're in dangerous country and, and we're in a place which is inherently dark and, and, and corrupt. Um, that's something that you sort of want to do. So, like, I, one scene that I've always remembered, it was from the very first time I ran Valley of Blood. Um, Sean's character was, this was a text-based game, and this is where I really started to appreciate these bigger atmosphere-setting moments. This is sort of the, the one that's always stuck with me, and we're talking, like, over 10 years ago now. Um, he had camped the night on the side of the road or he was stopping on the side of the road near a ford crossing a river and i described him sitting there when salmon went past on their way to spawn so i described the river suddenly coming to life with flashes of pink and and silver as fish were making their way up against the current and i i just focused entirely on that one moment 
and it had nothing to do with uh, the story. Salmon and the breeding patterns of salmon were completely irrelevant to the overall plot of Valley of Blood. <laughs> but that moment, one, <laughs> made the world feel alive, and two, introduced a sense of wonder for his character, and then he took that on to role play, sitting in this valley and looking around him and realising he was an untouched virgin country and how beautiful that was before he went on and did some dark shit because the guy was, was fucked up. But um, <laughs> it, was this, it was really setting this moment of this, this feeling, and that's always stuck with me to this day, this, that... Um, and Sean actually, because we were doing it all via text, DM'd me going, hey, that was fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was a really good moment. I really appreciated that. And it was something which, ever since then, I've always tried to to embrace that a bit. Just, just take the moment. If there's nothing important going on and it's a big open scene and you want to really make that scene feel alive, uh, find things that, that, that make it seem like it exists outside of the characters. Um and use it to set the mood and go from there. Um, and yeah, it'll uh, it'll pay off. The, the the players will appreciate it a lot more. Well, some might. I have no doubt there's some of there's like boring. Don't bore us. Get to the chorus, as they say in in music. Yeah, like, let's get to the point of the story. There's, there's people who will try and tell you that anything that exists outside the main plot doesn't actually exist and it's not important or whatever. That's fine, but I disagree. They're probably the authors, also the people who demand to have one combat encounter in every session. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a bit flippant. <laughs> um, but like, yeah. Yeah, this I don't know if that really answers the question, but like you know, I it's... think so. Yeah, I took some notes on that. Yeah, I think uh, I think it was quite good. Yeah, definitely, mm. definitely. Cool. Um, another question here is uh, how do you how do you vary your descriptions if you are playing in a large environment which largely has this kind of similar trappings? Um, an example being something like uh, the Underdark or a dungeon or. Um, something like that. So how do you how do you keep your descriptions varied? Oh, it's fucking hard, dude. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's easy to see where this, this dilemma comes up with if you're underground. Right? Absolutely. Oh, um, man. Um, so I guess the answer is don't play underground so much. No, focus on differences. Um, really, like, yeah, there's, there's no harm in saying the same thing different ways several times. Yeah, and, like, reiterate, like, we, yeah, the whole reason you're doing this, the whole reason you're describing the environment is to inform the players of what's happening in the world around them and to evoke a certain feeling um, or mood, right? That, that, that's the two mm. two goals you're setting out to do. And three, I guess this is important too, to have fun and be interesting. <laughs> but like those, those, those three things are what you're setting out to do, right? That's, that's your three primary goals in that moment. You're giving the players information. You're setting the scene or the mood or the, the environment. You're trying to make them feel a certain way. And you're trying to hopefully enjoy the moment as well, make it more enjoyable. Um, which doing those first two things will in, will naturally do the third. Yeah. So there's so tell as much as you have to. So when they first come in, I'll paint the scene, yeah, and I'll give them the information that they need, and then from that, I'll focus on little tidbits. I'll talk about the you know the the how um, you know. I'll, I'll reiterate things. If there's a certain feel I'm trying to get across, I'll find ways to get that feeling, and I won't be afraid to repeat myself 
um, just mix it up a wee bit. So you might talk about how you know you're, you're in this claustrophobic area and the tunnels just feel like they're going on forever and they're tightening in on you everywhere you go. And all you've all you can see is the you know the distance of of light thrown from your torch beyond which is you know the oppressive blackness. And then when the players say, right, okay, we go into the next room, I'll, I'll reiterate that. And you introduce new details amongst that if there is new details to introduce. But otherwise, you know, don't be afraid to sort of just keep reiterating stuff. Although, I mean, no environment, I think, is going to be exactly the same everywhere you go. Rooms you go into will have new things to discover. Uh, there'll be new creatures to discover. And if you're in the dark, you're going to smell them first um all that sort of stuff so focus on those points yeah. of difference um when i was in the military i used to be in reconnaissance um so we were always out and about looking for people um and we were on exercise and it was our job in the forest over in the west coast of new zealand near a place called murchison we were in the bush up there looking for the enemy party and we was i don't want to say lost in the military we call it geographically challenged but we weren't <laughs> completely confident as to where we were and we knew we hadn't found them and we were kicking around the bush for a wee while without much luck we found them in the end because they were in camp and someone was cooking bacon and here we were in the bush like a week of just seeing brown and green and nothing else <laughs> and we smelt them 150 meters away from where they ended up being um and it was all because they were just frying up some bacon. And that was a de like a depressing as fuck week. And in that moment, oh man, the height was real. So so do that. Like focus on those little changes. That's how you introduce tension. You know, like um, mention how you, know, you can hear something down the tunnel from like two rooms away maybe. Or how you can smell the smell of burning wood, right? if there's like a, a guard room up ahead or something like that, like like the focus on those differences mm. in an environment that is super samey, those differences will stand out more, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, those, those things will, you'll, you'll be, you'll be focused to pick up those differences versus if you're in a city and stuff all around you is chaos and things are always changing. You're going to miss a lot of information in that environment. Or if you're walking through the countryside and it's a more open, varied countryside, you're going to miss information. But if you're in a, in a, in a dungeon and it's really samey, you're going to notice those differences real quick. They're going to stand out. They're going to be vibrant to you. Um, so focus on them. Um, and just don't be afraid to reiterate. It can be tough. There's only so many ways you can describe a stone-lined fucking hallway interestingly. That's fine. You know, that's part of playing in a dungeon. Just um, mix it up. Mm. Maybe say, don't use all five senses or whatever, however many there are, in every single room. Maybe in one room, talk about the smell. The next one, talk about the, the moisture dripping off the ceiling. And the next one, you might want to talk about the the way, you know, like people are noticing that their footprints are reverberating off the walls as they walk through this hallway or whatever. And just mix it up that way, just sort of break it up. Mm. Yep. Cool. All right. Um, we're getting near the end now. So well, we've got some big, big questions coming up I wanted to say for the end. Um, one question was about... We've talked a little bit about it already, but how do you, for people who usually play in person, how do you, how do you best impart 
environment the environment online without being able to kind of manipulate people's senses directly so you can't use candles you can't necessarily control how light or dark the room is um you can't obviously we've talked about using music but um what are some other what are some other tips for best imparting um the environment online Online's always going to be online's got interesting challenges, right? There's always that one fella who's on Reddit or Twitter, you know, who's not actually paying attention to what you're describing, uh, or someone who's, you know, on Facebook or whatever. Um, yeah, all those people out there who don't want phones at the table, and then they have now are having to play in front of ta- in front of computers. Man, like it's it's always going to introduce a challenge. Um, one thing that I quite like to do these days is play with video if I can, because I can see if the players are really paying attention, but also I can see what they're reacting to. So this is something which I haven't really mentioned yet, but as you're giving these descriptions, watch your players, watch what they what they react to and what they don't, and those things that they react to that's the that's the gold that's that's the nugget that you want to use and keep using to make the world feel alive to them that's the string you want to keep pulling on so if you can use video do that so you can still watch your players and make sure they're they're listening um you know um another thing that you can do online a lot easier than you can do in person is you can send private messages Whereas when you're all sitting around a table together, you either have to be rude and sit there and text in front of everybody, or you have to pull somebody out of the room, which works. I've done it. I've, I've cleared the room so I could talk to one player and then pulled everybody in. I do that quite a bit. And when I was a kid and we were playing RuneQuest, that happened all the time. The GM would take you out of the room. The party would have a planning session. The GM would talk to you, just you, and bring you back into the room. Um, and that works really well. But online, it's super easy to do because you can send people DMs and you can explain something that one character is maybe becoming aware of or feels or smells that the others aren't. And then you can send that information to that player. You can tell them what they're experiencing quite directly uh, or you can be as flavorful as you want and then have them describe it to the party. Yeah, because it's that sort of thing where it's Mm. like if the person at the back of the party, if you're walking in a line and that person at the back is like, they can hear something behind them. They just got this feeling of being watched. They 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 can't see anything, but they fucking know in their gut something is out there. You can describe that to them. You you text them and say the hairs up the back of your neck are rising, and you got to chill down your back, and you know, and you can italize, you know, put it in italics. Know something is out there, and then have the player be like, guys, hold on. We need to turn around, you know, and that becomes a, you know, you know, you can do that in person. You can describe that to the player in front of all the other players. But if you do it in a hidden fashion, it can actually create a lot of tension and drama because the other players don't know what messages you're sending, especially if you go fucking quiet. GMs talk a lot. When I send information like that to the player, I shut the fuck up for a few minutes and let the player have that. Int- and then players are, are interesting creatures. They'll whip themselves into a frenzy over the smallest bit of information if you let them. So you just sit back and watch them fucking shit the bed. I love it. It's fucking great. And it's a lot easier to do that online than it is in person, in my experience. Yeah. So definitely. lean into that sort of stuff. Um, and use it um 
if you feel like your players aren't paying attention to what you're saying and stuff online because of distractions, don't be afraid to have a um like just say, hey guys, right, yeah, focus or whatever. Like in this re reorient the party to the game if they're getting too distracted. The same as if you're at the table and people start talking about sports, whatever, and you need to pull them back in. Same sort of thing. Um and like like I said earlier, if you talk more slowly and with a purpose and you start to slow down and you lower your voice a wee bit, people will start to listen. They will yeah. inherently. So if you start doing that online, if you say, hey, so guys, and then you just start slowly talking and then they'll listen and they'll focus. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of used to it. I guess I've been playing online for you know years and years and years now. So I'm used to one of us having just gotten out of bed. Someone else is waiting to go to bed. Someone else is, you know, just hoisted off their kid to their partner for a couple of hours or whatever and we're all in different time zones. Um, so... I find it's not that big a limitation. The hardest part is keeping people fucking off social media and shit while you're playing because the computer's right in front of them and it's it's too tempting, you know? Yeah, absolutely. What do you reckon? You've played online quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I think this is where ambient music, if we're talking about, you know, setting the, trying to impart environment online. Um, yeah, you can't, you can't use all these other little tips that we like in fact the the setting the mood episode we we referenced at the beginning of the video we were talking a lot about um you know being physically there with the people at a table um and tips that you can use there um and i think the only thing that really you can do is ambient music like directly to directly manipulate the the space. You can't control the the levels of lightness or darkness. Even if you were to ask people to turn all their lights lights off in the room they're playing in, they're still staring at a screen, right? Which is which is bright. Yeah. Um, and I guess you know it just depends. I guess if you're playing theater of the mind, you could also tell people like turn your keep your but you don't want to tell people to turn their monitors off because they need to see the video feed as well <laughs> it's very difficult it's really difficult and the the only way i can think of manipulating the only way i tend to do it is trying to use music and i'm a bit ham-fisted when it comes to music um in that i'm not super great i'm getting better at it but it's something i need to it's a, a skill i'm kind of improving at very slowly is you know remembering to do the music remembering to change it during uh, scene transitions and all the rest of it. Um, otherwise, it all comes down to describing describing things yourself as a GM. So online, the, the biggest challenge there is is getting good at describing smells, describing things that you can't actually um, do live in person. But it's basically all the stuff we've been talking about. And I think the way the, the difference here is that you can do a lot more in person, right? You can manipulate the smell of a room by lighting scented candles or um, you know, they're, you're playing in a forest in the wintertime, um, get one of those, try and find one of those pine scented, um, car fresheners and hang that up somewhere in the room. So the, the room smells like pine. Um, you can't, obviously can't do that yeah. online. So it's, I think the, the, the answer to that is a little bit more, everything we're talking about <laughs> is kind of applicable online. And the, the stuff that, the stuff that we're not talking about is the stuff that we kind of cover in that other episode. Um, and yeah, there is, um, it's not really answering the question, but it's, it's kind of, don't be afraid to explore what you can do in that medium that you can't do in others though. 
so video handouts become something that you can do more easily if you have an appropriate video um depending on the genre of game you're playing obviously um but um well, other things as well. What do you mean by vid- what do you mean by that? By video handouts? Like, like let's say there's sending a link to a yeah. There might be a video that's relevant to what you're playing, or you maybe you make one, right? You might want to make a a video or a recording or something of like a voicemail or something if you're playing a modern game or whatever. Okay. Because yeah. everyone's sitting in front of a computer, you know, it's a bit more easily done. Like, sure, you can do that in person and hand a phone around the room or whatever, but it's it, yeah, you know, like you might. You might, yeah. You know, it looks like we're going to be playing this way for a while, thanks to COVID. So fuck it, let's see what we can do with it, right? Mm. Um, another yeah. thing as well is um, a lot of those ambient tracks you find online, um, you know, like ambient rain or like a, a big one. I'm thinking of as campfires. You can find video loops of those where it's like a fireplace burning for mm. an hour or two. Um, they're great. I love that shit. Um, when I played uh, Don't Walk in Winter Wood, uh, because I wanted it to feel like we're telling stories around a campfire, I found a video um, of a big campfire, uh, like one of those ones that just loops for 10 hours, and I had that playing over the Chromecast, and we all sat in the dark around the TV <laughs> and used the glow, <laughs> the glow from the TV to play, right? Because you... Um, it's a really basic system. You don't, oh, you don't yeah. need to read character sheets. Yeah. Um, so you could do that online quite easily. You can be like, right, campfire yeah. scene and play a video of a campfire and tell everyone to full screen. And now you've got all like, you know, have that off to one side and the people's faces to the other or whatever. Um, and right now, now we can role play talking around the campfire. And we've all got this campfire in front of us. If it looks warm, because we're sitting at home, we're probably quite comfortable wherever we are. You know, we can see each other. Like you can, you, you, if you if you're the sort of person who likes to prep and have tools and stuff available, if you're the person who goes out of their way to buy a pioneer freshener to have at home <laughs> for a forest scene, I'm sure you could find a video loop of someone walking through a forest of forest sounds right that they use for um mm, for ambience definitely. and you can maybe play that i don't know it's not something i've played around with but um i'm sure that uh i'm sure if if there's a will there is a way people will figure out how to do it yeah cool um okay tips for winging a good description so this comes down to prep a little bit and also muscle memory, like good habits to get into to try and make it second nature. Okay. All of mine are winged. <laughs> <laughs> um, all I do when I prep is for each scene, I write a bunch of touchstones. So for me, I generally play two weeks apart um, for my home sessions. And if there are certain scenes I'm expecting to come up, like I know the party's going to go do something, um, I just, my time for prep is when I'm in the car. Uh, I know a lot of you were listening to this podcast in the car. Don't turn us off. You find another time. This is our time. But um, for me, when I'm in the car on the way to work, and I, I work in the community, so I spend a lot of time driving around town in the vehicle. Um, that's when I just sort of think about whatever I'm working on. I might be thinking about writing my role play games. I might be thinking about like a review that we're doing, or I'll be thinking about a session that we've got coming up or a character I'm playing or whatever. Um, 
and I think of little touchstones, and I'll just write them down as bullet points. And by touchstones, I might mean, you know, the smell of pine needles. You know, um, it's like autumn, so damp scree on the ground or whatever, like things like that. Um, and I just have these touchstones there as bullet points uh, in my one note that I use to prep in um, for each sort of broader scene or environment. And then I make sure I write things which for me evoke like the smell or the feeling or whatever. And then I just look at these things. I won't use all of them at any one time. I always make sure I have a couple left. Um, and that way I can look at them and be like, right, these are the feelings I'm trying to get across. Like I'm trying to get across this feeling or I'm, I really want people to be aware of the smell of, you know, like pine needles or whatever, and then just use that. Um, and that's good if I get to prep. If I don't get to prep, um, as I said at the start, I and don't be afraid to close your eyes if you have to to do this because it, it helps. Um, imagine yourself in the place that you're describing. The players are suddenly like, no, we're not going to go on this adventure. We're going to the saloon. So, you know, picture those half doors swinging open and you walking into the saloon and like what characters are in the room around you what smells have you got how stale does that beer smell you know like are people smoking in here what's going on at the poker table is it a very tidy poker table or is it all scuffed up with cigarette burns in it you know how well dressed are the people in here are there working girls are they aggressive working girls or are they just sitting back waiting for you to approach them these are all like this you know Imagine yourself going in there and then I, I sort of, if I've done this before, I've closed my eyes, especially when, I'm, when the first time players walk into the Davikar, I almost always close my eyes and describe it to them as, as if I'm walking in there for the first time and what I'm seeing, feeling, smelling, etc. And I'll describe it to the players um, and then just improvise from there. Um, and yeah, you'll be fine. Like um, if it's something which is that you think about when you think about these environments. Um, mention it. Like, little things. Like, like think about it. When I'm when you look for, like, music or sound effects for the background of a bar, for example, what do you hear? You hear lots of voices. You hear glasses clinking. You hear tables shuffling around, right? Describe that. Just describe. You walk in and you all hear the, the clinking of glasses as some people in the corner are cheersing each other to the end of a long day. And, you know, over here, got, there's the shuffling of tables and there's some music in the background. A couple of people are dancing over there. There's a poker game happening here. You know, and just sort of go with it. Um, and, yeah, just say the very first couple of things that come to mind. If they're evocative to you, they're probably going to be evocative to other people. And then... Stop and allow them to ask questions, and that gives you time to think of more shit. Um, and then just go with it. Whatever arises, go with it. And don't be afraid to think of something a bit weird and just sort of go with that too. Like if you're in a bar, what are they drinking? And what does that drink smell like? What food are they cooking out the back? Does it smell good? Does it not smell good? If it doesn't smell good, is this a particularly good restaurant? If not, what is it? That sort of a thing. Same for forests and stuff like that. It's, it, it can be a bit hard if you're describing an environment that's really otherworldly, like if you're playing something gonzo, if you're playing something sci-fi, and it's not something which we immediately relate to. That And if you're doing that without prep, that's that can be pretty hard. But again... You know, you're the conductor, man. You you tell you 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 control the music, so just go with it. Yeah.
that's good what do you reckon how, how do you do for the stuff i use i use bullets i don't i mean i can't read i can't read like long bits of text for descriptions um so but because it's something i'm not really great at i i do rely on um having things thought about in advance so i part of my prep for every game i do is i i have like a look i kind of mentioned before in having an index card with um for each location and it's even if it's online that's kind of what i try and limit myself to so it'll just be it'll have like a plot hook or npcs that are at that location um and sensory information and it's usually bullets and i try and think of it specifically think of non-visual things because um, I can wing the visual stuff fairly easily, um, but it, that doesn't really bring it to life. So having a few bullets there about, you know, what the, what smells might be there, what they might be able to hear while they're, while they're there, that sort of thing are important. Or if there's something very specific that needs to be included in that scene, uh, like a clue or MacGuffin or something like that, um, then I would write that down as well. So for me, it's, um, yeah. It's not so much being able to wing it; it's more about having the right, having the right prep. I don't think I I would be very good at winging a an evocative description. I probably would stumble over myself a little bit trying to get it out. Um, so yeah. I mean, if you've got the sort of players that like helping you describe stuff, throw it back to them. Yeah. You know, like you you describe a couple of things, and then you ask them to throw something in there. There was an Alexandrian article recently that shat all over that and said not to do that. So. I don't know if if your players are the sort of people like the Alexandrian, maybe don't. <laughs> but um, it really depends on um, it really depends on your table and the sort of things yeah. that people are into. Um, I think you can definitely do that. Yeah. I think by saying like you know this setting up as you kind of said with the broad with the kind of setting the broad things, um, turning around and then saying, um, you know, how do you, like what do you feel? Like, what are you feeling right now when you walk in? Or, um, you know, what 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 do you what does this room smell like? Something like that, and and give the players a little chance to dig into that. I can see that working. I've not actually done that myself, really. Um, yeah, you need to do it directly like that. You could be like, well, okay, so you're looking for a bar. What sort of a bar? Like an upmarket bar, a downmarket bar? Like, what are you what are you looking for? You don't need to tell them to describe the moment, but ask them what it is that they're looking for, and then that will immediately narrow the options that you have when they give you an answer and go, oh yeah, no, you find one of those, okay. and it's like this. And and, you know, and it happens to be on the docks, so everything smells like fish or <laughs> whatever, right? Like you can yeah. um, just good. sort of just throw it back at them as a question, like what is it you're looking for? Uh, what is it that we're, what we're doing here? What's the plan? And then just go with it. Again, I come back to if in doubt, if you can't think of stuff for the scene in the moment, think of the broader feel that you're trying to evoke. Is this place supposed to be tense? Is it supposed to be scary? Is it happy? Is it sad? If it's happy, then get that across. Is it supposed to be uncanny? Is something supposed to be not quite right about it? Focus on those things. If you can always fall back to how the the players um, like might be inclined to feel about something, you have to be careful and not tell them what what they think. That's something which players should be able to choose what their characters think. And on, and to an extent as well, or often that what they feel as well. But you can tell them it gives them a strange gut feeling or they feel a bit on edge when they walk in here or whatever. And sort of, you know, um, how, how they're 
how they are unconsciously reacting to the situation. You you can inform them of that. So do that um, if you're if you're lost and and try and think what purpose are we trying to fill here? Is this supposed to be a fun uplifting moment? In which case, dancing, girls, music, poker, blah blah blah. Is this town a really sad town and things are really bad because the monster's been eating all the fishermen and everyone start going into a recession? Right? You walk into the bar. They're sad, sort of looking fishermen, people at the bar, they're drunk, they're angry, they're maybe looking for a fight because fuck it, everything else has gone tits up for them. You know, the beer isn't very good. As a matter of fact, the taste's watered down. And yeah, and it's quite expensive because, you know, the, the guy behind the bar has to try and feed his kids on half as much custom. You know, like think about these things. What 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 feel are you trying to get across? What themes or rules have you set for this environment? And go with them, you know. Mm. That's good. Cool. So the last the last thing I wanted to to bring up here um, was from uh, from Rodders. He he asked if you had to describe a method of balancing too little versus too much description and put it into short applicable bullet points. What would it look like? <laughs> so how how would we summarize the best way of of kind of um, yeah doing just the right amount of of uh, description. In bullets. <laughs> yeah, bullets are the tough bit. I mean, I've written, I've taken notes in bullet form, so it's pretty easy for me just to read those back. Um, <laughs> I um, think the very first that's thing. That's a summary, but yeah, go well, on. It's kind of, just to go off what I was just saying, the very first thing is ask yourself what purpose is the scene fulfilling? What, what mood are we trying to evoke? And how, because like, like it's, this is all about setting the scene. This is the opening of a moment, right? You're trying, you're establishing something. So what are you trying to establish? What is it you're trying to achieve? Answer that question. And then from there, it's basically just, it's just fulfilling that, that question. So um, you want to introduce enough to establish that but not so much that players can't interact with the world. So give them threads and give them multiple threads, at least three, I think. Um, when you set that, that sort of thing, you describe what's going on. Don't be afraid to give them one guiding direction that you want them to go in, but paint the rest of the world as well so it feels inherent. And um, go from there. There's other things as well, like as part of that, that, that first question is sort of multifaceted because it'll also include like, is this a quick scene? Is it a slow scene or whatever? And that informs how much information you have to give. If someone's running through the middle of this environment and we're only describing it for a moment, I'm not going to bother trying to give them three different angles to go on. It's not important. What's important is where they're going. They already know what they're doing. So um, do that. Like ask yourself, have I set the mood that I set out to set, but also have I left space for the characters to color in, right? And mm. have I left things for them, some mystery? Is there stuff here for them to ask questions about? Is there room here to grow on? And lastly, is this interesting? If it's not interesting, don't waste your fucking time, um, unless it's supposed to be boring. But most of us don't want to role play in boring environments. So 
I don't know. I don't know if that's really bullet points, but these these are the sort of questions. It's not. <laughs> these are the questions I'm asking myself when I when I do this stuff. Is what what are we trying to achieve? Yeah, all that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I've I've kind of summarized it, trying to go into bullet form by saying, ask yourself these questions to um, establish the scene, and then it's a bunch of you know basically these questions you've just thrown out. Um, but then you've also got the uh, you know. Bullets looking at uh, introducing enough to establish, you know, these questions, but not enough that the players can interact with it. Try to give players three threads if you're lingering. Yeah, that seems seems possibly to answer the question. Um, <laughs> also, ask yourself. <laughs> looking back what's at unique the unique about the moment yeah, as well, like what 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 differentiates this scene from another? What differentiates this environment from another? It doesn't always have to be particularly different. So it's okay to walk through fields that are just like every other field, but most of the time you want to have something which is specific to the scene, right? But yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, going back up to the notes I took from the first question, you talked about, um, I mean, you, you, kind of, you kind of wrote down, you kind of mentioned what I've written down is urgency. So if you're in a hurry, don't give as much detail. Um, just enough. So just enough inf information or just enough detail to give a feel of what's going on, but leave gaps. Um, yeah, go through the senses and um, focus or open with uh, non-visual ones, leaving space for the players to interact with the descriptions that you've set or to interact with the environment and pace yourself to find the right balance. I mean, yeah, those that seem like pretty good. good general general bits and pieces. But the questions are good as well. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, I'll try and I'll try and write some of this up and put them into the show notes um in some form or another without making it too long. So if you want to kind of bookmark the page or copy the some of these notes down, um they'll they'll be there in one form or another. Yeah. Cool. I mean we're we're just um we're just around the two hour mark as well. I mean, is there anything else? I think I think that feels like a really good um really good talk around around the, you know environment without overstepping or not necessarily overstepping but stepping into similar territory we've already discussed in uh, that episode from a very very long time ago yeah um yeah you know i think it's, it's anything think else it's you want to add to all it? rounded you know um like yeah one thing which we did mention briefly when we were talking about npcs um sometimes if it's like you know going back to that question right when it's like what's the purpose of the scene if the purpose of the scene is to introduce the NPC, then don't be afraid to introduce them before introducing the scene. Like you might, if that makes sense, like you might arrive somewhere and hear yelling and screaming going on from inside a place. And as you approach the door, you know, like um, a scared husband's running away as projectiles are hurled from him. By his wife who happens to be the person you're here to see and then you've introduced her your, your scene has fulfilled its purpose and then in the process you could describe what they see around the house um yeah because their attention wouldn't be on the rest of the scene it doesn't always have to be scene first npc second you could be npc first and then introduce yeah. the scene over time um it makes sense if you yeah. walk into a room and there's a lion in the middle of the room you're looking at the lion you're not looking at the cage, right? <laughs> so these are yeah. things to uh, to think about as well as, um, yeah, I guess, yeah, 
comes yeah. back to what would the characters notice. But for the most part, it's pretty. Most part, I think we've covered all of it. I guess I don't know. This is see. This is the thing. A lot of this episode will make me sound smarter than I am. I don't consciously do a lot of the things I'm talking about. I subconsciously do them. So, <laughs> so I can't guarantee I haven't missed anything. Um, yeah. No, it's all good though. I think I think there's a lot of there's a lot of gold in here, right? Um, just just what you were just talking about with asking yourself these questions about um, setting up a scene. I think a really really good um, practice to get into the habit of of making more scenes, uh, making them making um, environments more descriptive, um, bringing them to life a bit better. So, yeah, and I mean, for me, I think the big the big takeaway here is like anything else, you get better by practicing things. And um, this is an area I'm weak at, and or at least feel like could be a lot better with and um, little tips and tricks like, you know, talking to people like Liam uh, that are good at doing something really well, um, trying to pick their brains and, and get some little tips and tricks, I think are really, really vital in, in improving yourself. So um, don't be afraid to prep things. Don't try and just wing it necessarily if you're quite new at it, if you're not, you're not good at it. Um, yeah. yeah, I think, I think having those little bullet points of things at the end there is kind of, is kind of key to kind of summarize what we're saying. And that's why I think it's important to keep it in the show notes so people can actually, um, you know, look at it, reference it, write it in their, write it in their GM notes as well. Um, and don't be afraid to, yeah, I think, for, I think for me, the thing that's really helped is including, is including the environment and descriptions of the environment in my notes without going overboard with the detail. Mm. So literally just bullet points of sensory information, I think is really helpful. And to give a shout out to Absolute Tabletop, um, they did a, um, I backed one of their Kickstarter products called Oath of the Frozen King, I think it was called. It's a fifth edition um, adventure module, which I would normally have nothing to do with. Um, but they were trying, their big pitch was that they were trying to um, shake up the like how modules should be written. And they were basically just describing doing an adventure module as a as a sandbox, writing it as a sandbox. So just giving a massive toolbox of locations and information and NPCs and stuff laid out in a way where you could just literally play with it in any way you wanted. And it wasn't laid out in this linear fashion and with lots of text to read out it was specifically made to be able to quickly reference. I backed it and I think it's it's done extremely well. And one of the things they did there for every NPC and for every location was to have bullets of sensory, non-visual sensory information. And this, I mean, for me, it's it's such an obvious thing now, but at the time I was kind of like, fuck, that is absolutely brilliant. Like, of course, these are things that are important. You know that these are things that are, that are important, but actually putting them into your GM, into your into your prep notes and ensuring that every single time you make a location, you include, you include at least two or three um, non-visual bits of sensory information means that when you need to try and bring that environment to life a little bit, you're the players walk into that location, you just kind of grab onto those bullets and you expand on them. Um, and it's, that's helped a lot, but you know, like anything else, you still need to practice to, to really get very good at it. Um, yeah. So that'd be my, my advice is to, is to, if you're, if you're like me and you're not good at it, um, or you feel like you could, there's space to improve, um, is to try and consciously think about it during prep and give yourself a couple of bullets to, to try and riff off of later. Do not go like describe things in, in a very high amount of detail because it's hard to read that back at the table when you're in the when you're in that scene as a GM. You just want those quick 
bite-sized bullets to to try to pick up to pick off of. Absolutely, yeah. No, just um, just touchstones, just touch points. That's all you need. Just um, little yeah. little bullet points that are like, hey, and you know, focus on include at least one for each sense if you can. Uh, is a good place to start. Um, you don't have to. I often work with less, but it's something if you're a bit worried about having the right thing to describe. If you've got things there, you can fall back on. Yeah. Know, what 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 are we hearing when we walk in here? And it might be like, yeah, you know, like a marketplace might have lots of lots of people going around. You're hearing the bustle of the city with calls from people selling their wares, and then you might have, you know, you've got the smell of exotic spices or whatever, right? And you've got, but also the stench of the cattle market down the road. Um, you know, you feel. Yeah. You feel like the the rough cobblestones beneath your feet as you walk around, and um, you know your taste taste. I often tie back to smell because unless people are putting shit in their mouth, they're probably not tasting it too much. <laughs> but again, it might be you know like um, you know like something that is really odorous. You can taste or whatever, or maybe if they yeah. are drink, if they're, well, they're connected, yeah. aren't they? Your 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 odors odiferous senses are connected. Or if you're in a bar. If you're in a bar or somewhere where food, food sure. is expected, you can yeah. be like the the beer tastes stale, you know, or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. if you start with that, and then include moods that you're trying to evoke, I think that's a big one. A lot of people get caught up on the detail and not caught up on the why. So, um, I think yeah, that's great. Yeah, what that's what true. what what mood are we trying to feel, and what is the purpose of the scene? Again, so if we want people to feel tense, great. If we want, and it's okay. Not everything has to have a, a like a be really specific. Like we're trying to evoke this mood. A marketplace can just be a marketplace, but then yeah, where for feel you might write something like chaos or busy, stressful, whatever. Right, like. Um, and that's fine. And and then and then that way if you're sitting there and people are asking you questions and, and there's stuff that you haven't prepped for, and this is true outside of environment, they might be asking questions like, um, oh my character wants to go and try and find a so and so shop, is there is one? Is there one? And you might be like, Well, I I don't know that. I haven't prepped for that. I have a look and go, well, it's a very busy marketplace. It says so in my notes. So, yeah, probably. Or, yeah, but it might be hard to find because mm. there's a lot going on. So you get to role play. Yeah, look, you're going to be looking through the chaos and stuff. You have to try and find one. You're going to ask around. Like, there's there's someone near you yelling out, hawking their wares, right? Like, because you've got these little bullet points. That's, that's, the, that's basically all of the prep I yeah. do for everything. And then you can just go from yeah. there. And, again, it's okay to not feel good at this stuff i'm fucking like not good at everything my i generally think my npcs are pretty average at best um i'm better at scenes than i am at people <laughs> um so um like it's okay to be bad at stuff it's okay to to need to work on it just practice as long as you're having fun you're doing it right it doesn't matter what anyone says so hmm. Unless yeah. you're saying, hey, we're cool. playing horror, this is what the monster looks like, and show them a picture. We've established that's wrong. So that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the unforgivable <Yeah>. sin. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. Let's wrap up then. So, um, yep. Hopefully there'll be some some nice bullets or some uh, kind of summary of what we've, uh, the, the kind of, salient points of what we talked about um accompanying this post 
Um, it's not going to be the entire episode. Episode is going to be more about the kind of takeaways and the things to really think about. So we'll be including those in the uh, in the show notes. Um, if you want to reach out and talk to us about this episode or just get in touch with us about anything, we're very active on social media. Um, all of our links are on mbcast.co. Uh, we're most active on Discord. So if you're a Discord user, um, you know, hit up that link to find our Discord invite link. Um, we are also on Patreon. So uh, we have over 70 um, Patreon supporters at the moment, at this moment in time, um, which blows us away every time we, we think about that number. Um, we only ever expected to be a handful of people at most. So um, yeah, we do a lot of things for our Patreon supporters, little, little extra things like early access to episodes and being able to listen live to, while we're recording. Um, and we do some exclusive uh, content every month. So if, um, if you just want to buy us a beer or a, a coffee or something like that and don't care too much about the, the rewards, that's great. Patreon is, is where we'd, um, you know, you can do that. But if you're also interested in getting a little bit more bang for your buck, we're also offering stuff. So go take a look at our Patreon site, um, mbcast.co forward slash Patreon is a redirect link that'll take you there. Um, if you can't afford to, to do that, that's absolutely fine. We understand. We also have an affiliate link with uh, Drive Through RPG, which basically um, doesn't cost you anything more. But when you buy something on Drive Through RPG, uh, we get a 5% kickback from them in in-store credit. Liam's in control of that, and he gets to see uh, a summary. He doesn't see your name, but he can see what you've purchased. So, um, yeah, we get this like little we, every month um, in our one of our Patreon rambles. Liam goes through the the drive through RPG affiliate purchases <laughs> to see the kind of the stuff that you're all purchasing, which is kind of uh, fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's us, really. Um, our music in the intro and outro is by the very talented uh, Danish musician Danheim. Uh, so go check him out. He's on YouTube, Spotify, Bandcamp, um, pretty much everywhere you can find music. He's He's got a presence. Um, he's great. He lets us use his music for free. We're very grateful. Mm -hmm. So that's us. Thanks for listening. And yeah, catch you next yeah. time. Kia ora whanau, matawa. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.